You're listening to episode 58 of the Empath Podcast. Welcome back to the Empath Podcast. I'm your host, Robin from the Diary of an Empath.com. And in today's episode, I am so excited to be joined with Amelia Brugham. Amelia is an EIB alum and a grief specialist who works specifically with highly sensitive women who are going through traumatic divorces and overcoming the grief of betrayal, guilt, and secrecy. And in this episode, we dive into so many things, including the role that play, art, and nature have in doing grief work, being open and receptive to the universe and all it's trying to show you and offer you, no longer being willing to wait until you're fully ready to step into the work that you're here to do. Plus, things like how to design a business around your energetic needs and priorities, and the nuances of growing and building a business as a HSP, so a highly sensitive person. There's so much in this episode, so I'm not going to keep you. I'm just going to hit play on the recording now. So, Amelia, thank you so much for being here. I know we're going to dive into your story and your work a lot in this conversation, but to just kick us off, is there like a quick blurb to introduce yourself and tell the people listening what you're all about? Yeah. Um, my name's Amelia Brugham, and I'm a divorce recovery specialist, and I really love to specialize working with highly sensitives, intuitives, empaths, because I am all of those things. So I love to work with people going through divorces where they've experienced betrayal or secrecy or trauma. That's, that's my thing. From my work, like early, early on, before I narrowed down and was working specifically with empaths in business, I would get a lot of emails from a lot of empaths going through big traumatic breakups and divorces because oftentimes that's like a, an awakening mm -hmm. moment. So yeah, the work you're doing is so important. Do you want to dive a little bit into the grief aspect of it? One of the reasons I wanted to call you onto the podcast is because it is Scorpio season. Scorpio season is where we're letting go, grieving, especially around our identity, but it can be things in our world as well. So marriages, breakups, uh, life paths that we thought we were on. So talk me a little bit through the grief work and how you knew it was your work. So grief was just always a part of my life, my story. I kind of felt like it was chronic, but it was because I didn't realize I was an empath, that I was highly sensitive. So growing up, I just thought, oh, I'm a melancholy person and bad things happen <laughs> to me. And then as an adult, you know, I latched on to the grief recovery method because when I found that method, 
it encompassed a way for me to process all the different kinds of grief, like neglect and abuse and spiritual abuse and divorce. It just was like this system. And I love systems and I love research. So it was this system that helped me process it. And, you know, I, I study attachment theory and neuroscience and some of the pieces of, of those two things fit together like a puzzle when I found this. So it was like, oh, what should I, what should I, if I'm going to give my gift to the world, what should it be on? Should it, should it be about neglect? Should it be about overcoming abuse? Should it be about overcoming divorce? And now it's like, no, it's just grief. We just call it grief because it's everywhere around us and it just takes different forms. Do you remember a moment where it was like, I, I think about the word empath for my journey. When I found that word, it was like everything clicked into place. Everything made sense. Totally. Do you, you have a similar thing with grief? When you heard about grief and you heard that there was this thing known as grief, did, did like the things that were going on in your life, I'm thinking like symptoms, um, I guess the question is, I remember when I, my dog passed away and I sometimes feel silly about saying it, but that was the hardest loss that I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And I started to be very different. It was just different when it happened. And later on, I learned that the things that were happening to me, the way I was interacting with the world, behaving, they all fit under this umbrella of grief. And when I learned that, I'm like, oh, so that's why I'm acting like this. That's why, you know, I'm seeing the world this way. So did you have a moment like that where grief came into your world and you said, oh, this makes sense. Like this gives me something to ground with. Yeah, actually, it's funny. Um, uh, your story, mine is kind of the flip flop of that where I grew up with grief and it was always just a part of my life. And when I was introduced to joy and gratitude, that's when it clicked for me. And I was like, oh, this is what joy looks like. This is what gratitude looks like. And I can have happiness. And it kind of shifted for me in the opposite sense, because I had spent so many years studying anger management, facing my fears, doing talk therapy and boundary work. And it was like all these emotions that I had been trying to get out were were still there. They were like stuck in my body and expressing themselves in migraines and vertigo and back pain. And, and it was like, wow, you know, I've just really, I've really tried to heal from all this and, and overcome in so many ways. And I have made some progress, but it's still there. And then when that piece about joy and gratitude and play and rest and self-care was the missing piece to the puzzle that really shifted in me and created, started creating a new dynamic in my life. Ooh, so like the power of contrast mm -hmm. to see an experience like the opposite of what you have been experiencing. From your perspective, what are some signs that someone may be unknowingly grieving? Yeah, I think one of the obvious ones that I pick up on when I'm reading a room is mm -hmm. a lack of eye contact, kind of this closed off 
feeling that you get that you see in somebody. There's a sparkle in someone's eyes when they have joy. And so you can sense that or see that that sparkle isn't there. And just tiredness is a, a good sign too, just lethargic. And you can see it in the way that they, they walk and hold themselves too. In that case, would you consider it like a grief? I know I'm going off script here, which I tend to do. <laughs> but um, I'm thinking about when my dog did pass away. And actually, even more recently, I lost my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I, I'm, I can be a very stoic person. But when things happen, they happen. And I recognize that they happen. You know, you go to the burial, you go to the funeral, you go to the burial, you're with family, you're talking about the memories. And then it's not until a couple days later or weeks later that it really hits you. Like for me, that something big has happened. A big change has happened in in your life. My grandmother's no longer here. And this happened for me recently, like when she did pass away, I went through the motions being very stoic. And then I was out for a run and I just was running, running, running. And then tears just started to, to, to flood. And I was yeah. like, wow, this was in my body when mm-hmm. expressing it, but running to me gave the space for, for it to happen. Is that common? Absolutely. That's a great observation too. I think our body speaks and we don't always get the message. That's what it was for me. Like the migraines and the vertigo, it caught my attention finally. And I was like, what is going on here? I just had to keep asking myself and searching for the answers. What needs to be expressed that I haven't expressed yet? And do you think anger plays into that as well? Because I'm also thinking recently after my grandma passed away, I had this random angry outburst. And I'm not a typically angry person. I mean, I have a lot of areas in me. I can get a bit feisty, but I don't have outbursts so much. And so that happened. I was like, that is odd. Yeah. When you're looking at grief, is it in the oddities? Like the things that you would, you're doing that they're not actually you, would you say? Yeah, that's a, a great way to identify that someone, if someone is not acting like themselves, um, that's a, a great indicator that, that there's feelings there that need to be surfaced. And sometimes it, it services in a nervous laugh or laughing inappropriately as something, or, you know, like you said, it could be anger or sadness. I feel like anger and sadness are like cousins. They, they're just different forms of the same thing, like a disappointment, like this shouldn't have been like this. I was thinking about how you were telling me your work was starting to shift to include more play and more art and more nature. Are these tools for people to express what's in the body when they're going through that grief process? Or how are you merging those two worlds? I find the connection of play and art and nature kind of evolved as I learned more about neuroscience, just how the left brain and the right brain works. The left brain is kind of more in my in my thinking the masculine type side of it it's it's analytical and protective and wants to be in control and have a plan. The right side of the brain is the creative side, the feeling side 
And when our bodies go into trauma or traumatic experiences or grief, we go into this fight, flight, or freeze kind of survival mentality, which then that left side of your brain goes into high functioning. Its, it's main goal is to protect and to guard. And you're not very open to suggestions or new ideas or negotiating when you're in that mindset. So what, what I like to do is get people into their creative mindset with play and art and nature, because when you come at a problem or grief with openness and you're willing to look at it with new perspective or at different angles or with joy and gratitude, that right side is your relational side. It's about making connections and, and unity. I just feel like if you're going to do grief work, you want to come at it not from the protective guarded mentality, but from the possibilities abound mentality. So art and nature and playfulness is what gets you into that relational mode, that relational thinking, which really is the, the problem solving. You want the creative problem solving when you're in your grief work and you want to be able to reframe it in a in a more positive light. And so that's how I use um, playfulness and creativity to kind of activate that right brain thinking. I love that. And I love what you said about the, the masculine side protecting mm-hmm. and how stubborn that masculine side can get. Mm-hmm. And the feminine is like, you know, I, I was thinking about this quote I had heard years and years ago after I think it was a breakup or something. And it was like, instead of looking at what this is paraphrasing, this is not going to do the quote justice, but it was something about, you know, instead of focusing on the one thing that's no longer there, focus on all the space and all of the possibilities. Because I think the masculine really likes to fix. Yeah. Do you find like in grief work, if you're coming at it from that masculine space, it's like something is wrong and I need to fix it. Whereas feminine is more open to whatever may come next. She's flowing. She flows with life. And the feminine side is more heart centered. And I just want to feel into it. And um, I want to question it with this sense of curiosity or adventure. It's more positive thinking in the sense of what can we create out of this? So what would this look like in a one-to-one session with you? It depends. I like to do the play stuff and the nature and the um, grounding work ahead of time. Like I have this offer of an intensive because I feel like sometimes what blocks people from doing grief work is they're just afraid of spiraling down into depression and not being able to pull themselves out of it. Mm -hmm. And so if I can get you feeling 
joyful and rested and have a self-care regimen in place, have a support network in place, because I do my work online, I want you to feel like you've got local support where you're at too. And if you are in a place where you don't have local support, like I was, I found online support to help me through my divorce. That's a possibility too. And so just getting grounded and having good self-care and a rhythm of rest and play with your grief work, I feel like you need to have pockets of rest every day, pockets of play every day, and then you know, weekends and monthly, that's important too, to get it. So you have something to look forward to because really when you're in a, a mentality of gratitude and grief comes by and surprises you, maybe you're not in this chronic grief, but you know, something happens to you, you're going to weather that and withstand it and be more resilient so much more. If you're coming from a place of gratitude, mm -hmm. than if you're already tired feeling down about what's going on in your life and you know that you don't have anybody to walk alongside you so getting yourself firmly planted grounded with support is the first step to grief work which i like to do offer that to do in advance now some people come to me and say i do have a support network i have a self-care regimen i'm ready to go i want to do the grief work and we can just jump into the grief recovery method it's a seven-step process so there's two ways depending on where you're at and what you need two places to start oftentimes when i'm thinking about coaches and they just dive right in to the task at hand. That's very masculine. Again, let's fix what's wrong, especially as like a, a, a feminine being. The foundational pieces aren't what we've been taught are the foundational pieces. The foundational mm -hmm. pieces are exactly what you're saying, this, the support, the self-care, the self-grace, the self-compassion. So I think that is absolutely beautiful because I can only imagine, but people who have that support when they start, they're probably most likely to get to the end of the process and finish you know i don't want to start the process and then see someone being overwhelmed with their grief and mm -hmm. and stop each of us has our masculine and feminine parts of us and so i feel like what i offer it meets both those needs it meets the heart's need to be supported and it meets the fix it masculine let's get this done part of you by having a method and some steps to follow. Yeah, that's so cool. What has been your favorite part of this work? Oh, what is the favorite part? I think realizing everything I've been through, all the things I've studied, the books, the self-help courses, the pain, it's all so valuable. It's not for nothing. It's something that I can offer as a gift now. And when someone receives my gift and is thankful for it and it changes their life and it helps them get unstuck, it's just such a beautiful, it's like a cycle of giving and receiving. It's like, okay, this is what we were created to do. Give and receive, helping and supporting each other, learning from the experience and then turning around and giving that to somebody else. Yes. I'm like nodding my head. Like, yes, yes, yes. I have 
another question, and then I want to dive into your experience with EIB and, and specifically facing the perfectionist, because I know mm -hmm. that that's been a big thing for you, and it is a big thread for a lot of people. But my question around grief is, when did you know you were out of it? Like, when did you know you had moved from being in grief, I guess, to just, I don't know what the word would be, because I want to inspire hope. If someone is listening and they're moving through it, maybe they've just gone through a traumatic divorce, you know, maybe mm -hmm. they are dealing with the, I would call them like the big hitters that you work with, like betrayal, guilt, secrecy. What can you give them as a piece of hope, optimism? So I think of the contrast that you're trying to describe is like grief versus joy. And I think it was more of an understanding and accepting that it ha doesn't have to be either or, it can be both and. Mm -hmm. I can have grief and joy at the same time. I don't have to categorize myself as this is a bad day or this is a good day. I can create a lifestyle that has space for the ups and the downs. And now I'm feeling more empowered and resilient so that when, not if the grief comes, but when the grief comes again, I'm ready for it. I know how to process it. I know how to express my feelings. I know how to do self-care. I know how to find support. I know how to ask for what I need and I can move through it and I can learn from it. And it's not something to avoid anymore it's an opportunity for me to grow from and learn from I love it how you mentioned not if when mm -hmm. because I think we are so quick again to want to fix it if we're coming from that masculine lens whether mm -hmm. that be in grief or if we're thinking of what my world in business mm -hmm. we just want to get you know out of the the place that we're in because the future is going to be better. You know, we want the future to be better, but life is cyclic and yeah. you're always going to be refacing what you've mm -hmm. faced. But the joy of it is you don't, you don't just cycle in a circle, you cycle upwards. And so yes. Time you go through it. It's, it's like, Oh, I handled that better. And I'm the same way in business all of the time, there's moments that are like, oh, don't feel so great, mm -hmm. but that's okay because I have tools and what used to take me out early on no longer takes me out, no longer even is like a blip in my day because of these tools. So I think when I think of your work, I think what a beautiful offering to be able to help people learn those tools because I can only imagine the grief work that you do, the, the pain and the processes people go through, like those, they're not quick things to recover from. Like a divorce would have a lasting effect. And so yeah, there's layers. Yeah. So for you to be able to give those tools, I'm just, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, it's beautiful. When you were in EIB, your biggest pain point that we were talking about was around perfection and kind of kicking that perfectionist to the curb so that you could learn to fail forward. Mm -hmm. And I already mentioned this, but I feel like this is universal. The, the inner perfectionist, I know some people struggle with it a lot more, but 
I would love to just hear your, your process with it. How did you face the perfectionist? And I guess like the energy of like, how did you let loose in, in business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like my perfectionism has been a long process, but, but the starting a business was new for me. So it had a new way to express that was unfamiliar to me. I'm a list person. I had all these to-do lists of things that I felt were really important, you know, and then I was worried about what is the priority? Should I do my website first or should I do social media? (laughs) Or There were just so many options and questions and excuses that I would make for not putting my offer out there and not advertising because I just didn't feel ready. I didn't have a plan for how I was going to answer the questions that were sure to come. Mm-hmm. And I think I had this realization after you know, the course had already gotten started and I kept bringing these things up and you kept telling me, just start your work. You're ready. You have everything you need to give your offer. Just start working with someone. And it was like, really? (laughs) I, I can just do that even though I don't have a website or, you know, all these things I think I need. I don't have a sales funnel yet. And it was, um, it was nice to have to hear the confidence that you had in me that I had the gifting, I had the desire to give it, give my gift to the world, and I just needed to start doing it and learn along the way. And that some of those options and questions would be answered in the doing of the work. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of a, a realization that my old programming of crisis management and always being ready for the next crisis and trying to control the environment so that problems wouldn't happen was not the way I wanted to do my business, was not the mindset I wanted to go in this time around. I wanted to have this mindset that possibilities and abundance abound and that the universe can really help me with this business and send clients to me. It doesn't have to be so hard. I don't have to work at controlling the the circumstances. I can just allow and attract the the work and the business to come to me. And it, it doesn't have to be work. It can be fun. It can be my heart's desire and something I enjoy doing. So that idea of perfectionism fell away as I realized there is no perfect, there is no perfect way to do this because it's never been done before. I'm creating something like art that I would never tell my son, oh, that picture or painting is ugly. You did it wrong. You put the line in the wrong place. There's, there's no way to do art wrong. You just do it because it's an expression of who you are and what you think is pretty and, and your experiences and other people either admire it or they don't. And the people that don't admire my art are not going to be clients of mine. And that's okay with me. Perfectionism isn't really the goal anymore. It's just expression. Yes. <laughs> I got chills again. Yes. <laughs> From my heart truly 
because I'm putting myself back where we were in March when we met mm -hmm. and we were going through the program together. And I remember I kept pulling the card for you. I don't remember what card. It was an animal deck, though. I kept pulling it and kept saying, like, yes, like, this is on, on the desk. Like, you are so ready. But what I really was inspired about with you was it only took me saying it a few times for you to really get the message and start to put some wheels on this thing that you were building. You didn't let yourself stay hung up. And I value that. Like I value that self-trust it would take to, to move yourself forward. Something you said is the universe can help me with this. And in my head, I was like, the universe wants so much to help you with this because you wanting to do this work, it's the universe's creation. Yes. It sees there is the need for grief work. There's so many people grieving, major life changes happening. And you were the quickest route and the most appropriate route for that work to unfold. I want to bring this up because I feel like people are always like, is it, is it, am I being selfish? Like asking the universe to help me? The universe, it was the universe's decision. I, I agree. I feel like the universe wants to bring things into balance. And if I'm not offering my gift to the world, it's making that task even that much harder. I should be a part of the solution by giving what I have to give. My role is not to be the matchmaker. My role is just to give my gift and, and love to whoever comes my way. And to have the willingness to be open to it, to be open to receiving these people. And in business, that looks like putting the offer out there, telling mm -hmm. the world you have it. That is an act of, of receptivity. You, you kind of mentioned this, but something that you said, this was in one of our email exchanges and you wrote this, and it was how you had finally accepted your offer and the work that you'll be doing. And you, you've accepted that it is always going to be changing. But now you're convinced the world needs your work, so you're no longer willing to wait to give it until you're fully ready. There's some serious truth in that. Was there anything particular that really snapped that into place for you? I think it's in accepting my trait as a highly sensitive um, at a deeper level. Because... For one thing, I'm a high sensation seeker. I like adventure. I like new things. And part of my hesitation to committing to putting an offer out there is that I'm afraid I'm going to get bored. And as soon as I invest all this effort and energy into announcing what I'm offering, then I'm going to be bored with it and change it. And I'm not going to be offering that anymore. So it was a way for me to accept my, I, it was a way for me to accept my design and build it into my offer. So if I know that I get bored easily, then the idea of seasonal work that you introduced in EIB was like a light bulb for me. Like, oh, I don't have to commit to doing this every single day, five days a week. I can tailor this to do what I want because I was hesitant to jump two feet at a time into grief because I know as an empath, that's going to hearing and holding space for people's grief is going to take energy. Mm -hmm. And I'm a single parent and I need energy from my family. 
And so part of me was holding back. And I realized though, through the exercises you had us going through that I could design this completely how I wanted to. And if I felt the feminine parts of me saying, I don't feel like doing this anymore. I want to change my mind. I feel my intuition and my guides leading me in a different direction. Then it doesn't mean I have to throw everything and all the work I've invested in my original offer away and start, you know, from scratch again. No, I just tweak it and change it and evolve it and add something and take something out and make it what it needs to be for me to be interested in it this season and have the anticipation and understanding that next season, it's going to be different. It's going to change and build that into my offer so that people know, Hey, this is being offered now and we'll see what's offered later. Yeah. Because you're not going to be the same person later. Your needs are going to change. It's interesting too. There's a student right now in EIB who she values so much things always being the same. She has kind of the opposite problem. She's like, I don't want to move and change as business grows. But then Mm -hmm. there's ways to make those parts, parts of your business really structured so they, they don't move. One of the things I love most about being in business is you're not trying to fit yourself into a box. Yes. You're making a box that fits you. Yes. I love too how you bring in the empath part of it because we have a threshold of how much of other people's stuff we can take on. Mm -hmm. Even when taking on other people's stuff is our gift, you sitting there in grief with people and being able to hold and transmute and support people through it, that's Mm -hmm. a gift, but there's a threshold. And so in your business, ensuring that your needs as a sensitive person are enforced through your offers. I'm really happy to hear that you, that that clicked for you, that you got that. Another thing I came up for you in EIB that really speaks to the soul of, I think, empath work in, in general is in business, you're often taught you need to think about the ideal customer and what they need. Whereas as an empath, you're feeling the world, conscious or unconscious, sensing that you should do things a certain way. And you may have a language for that to be like, you know, I just know I need to go this way or like this feels right for me. But when you came into the program, you were really fixed on trying to make the offer for the the person who was going to use it as opposed to making sure the offer fit you. So this might be a bit of a continuation of what we were just talking about. But how did you learn to trust the ideas that were coming up, your inner guidance to, to go this way, not that way? Well, one part of the course that really helped was being the presence of the other girls in in our class as well and watching them go through the process, watching you model it as well, and just hearing, you know, the stories of each of you share how how that looked for you gave me a, a frame of mind to put it in. And I think too, part of it evolved even after the course was over because it was just trusting the feminine in me a little bit more. I felt more secure trusting that my heart would guide me. And I have been doing something that's been kind of a constant in my life for the past two years is a form of journaling, a creative writing where it's like a conversational 
prayer that I write out and it helps me feel connected to the universe. Like, like I'm bonding with God. And in those conversational prayers, I feel like he's just reminding me of who I am and that I'm not alone and that what I have to offer the world has value. So the combination of listening to that inner voice and hearing it from other entrepreneurs, hey, you can do this, your work has value. And seeing you guys in the class also doing that and offering it and seeing the impact it's making in others and in my life, it just kind of was in my face like, yes, follow your heart, follow how you were created to be and and be you in the world. You don't need to hide it. It's right and good. And the timing is now for you to take that step and enter into it. You've got support now. You're not just flailing on your own like you feel like you have for so long in your past. This is different and you know how to find support for yourself. You know how to find answers to your questions. You know how to be resilient when things don't go the way that you want them to and you're ready for this. So, so do it. Was there any maybe norms or narratives in the grief industry, um, I would say like among grief coaching and coaches and methods that you just were like, no, don't agree with that at all. That's not going to be part of my offer. I think, yeah, coming into your course, I had this mentality of this is how I was trained and certified, and this is the way I need to do it. And when I started taking your course, it was like, no, you get to design how you want to do your business. You can use the method, but you don't have to do it the way everybody else does it. You know, I'm a rule follower and, and the, the grief recovery method, once you, it's evidence-based, it's studied. And so they want you to follow the script and do the process the way it's been proven to work. And I still do that in my work. I still, I still follow the method, but I've tacked on my own personality to the beginning of it. And that's in the grounding work where I include rest and play and self-care and that sort of thing and have kind of made it my own that way. In a way, you felt into the needs of the people you're supporting, which are these highly sensitive women. And you saw the missing link, what wasn't being addressed through the method. And you trusted yourself to add on that piece that you knew was going to lead to true results. My heart is just fluttering with that because at the end of the day, you're here to help people. Mm -hmm. So if there is something missing in the way that things are being done, it's your responsibility, my responsibility in our unique industries to, to be that missing piece. That's how we are going to weave the voice, like the empath voice, the sensitive voice, or even like the, the women's voice into these practices and these programs. With you, it's grief. With me, it's business. I was learning about business and I was like, hold up. There is so mm -hmm. much missing that's not speaking to what it's like to be an empath in business. So let me be that missing piece. And so I see a lot of mirror there 
Yeah, I know. I I think about that too because um, I was telling just a friend this the other day. Grief, someone going through divorce, like a traumatic divorce that has that you feel has to be secret or there's an element of betrayal. Like for someone who's not highly sensitive or empathic, it's one level of grief, and then for us, it's a whole different ball game. It's, I feel like it's not even comparable because we're grieving for at so many different levels for all of the family members, for the ex-in-laws, for the children, not to say that non-HSPs don't grieve for that too. It's just that we internalize it so differently and the trauma is in our system differently. I was going to ask another question kind of uh, tipped off in my head about what are some unique struggles or challenges as an empath or as a highly sensitive person when you are going through the grieving process? Um, I think it's not uncommon for highly sensitives to have a history or a background, a childhood of neglect or caretaking or -hmm. codependency where we had to take care of the needs of others or stuff our own feelings and emotions to create peace or harmony in the family. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of our needs matter, my needs as a highly sensitive are valid and I may have a higher or lower threshold for things that other people don't. For an example, I'm going to need more rest Mm -hmm. in my day. And growing up, I was probably called lazy or why are you so sensitive or come on, hurry up. And so I would view my need for extra rest in a shameful or guilty light. And as an adult now, I have to rethink that and say, tell myself that it's not me being excessive or demanding or controlling to have my needs met. If I require extra rest or time alone away from people, that's me taking care of myself so that I can be a better caretaker for my children and my family. It's, it's good problem solving. It's me helping the situation. And so changing that, that mindset of, well, I have to do grief the way everyone else does grief, you know, work the steps and I move on. It's different. It's not, it's not that easy. It's not that quick. It's not like that for a highly sensitive because we need more rest, more play more support. Highly sensitives thrive when they're in a supportive environment and they struggle when they feel like they're singled out and alone. And so that piece in itself of feeling in a, like you're in a supportive environment is really a game changer, um, which is why being in a difficult divorce where you're not feeling supported feels like you've just got lead in your shoes and you just can't move on. And then after the divorce, there's this freedom you never 
even really knew could be um, experienced once if if you get in a supportive environment and and you can experience that it's like mind-blowing like wow i am two completely different people when i'm in an unsupported environment maybe it's at work maybe it's your family i am not very productive and i'm not very creative and, and, and i don't have great ideas but then when i am in a supportive and non-judgmental environment where i don't have to be perfect and people still love me and i can express myself with truth and authenticity, I'm a completely different person. I come alive. I'm full of joy. I'm full of great ideas. And I, I produce way more than I ever thought possible. Gosh, thank you for saying that. That's validating so much, like even within myself. It, it is so true. It's the, the needs are different. And so we need people who understand the needs in these places where the people are in need of the support the one about rest it's not optional it's like these things yeah. that in in society when you're moving through things it's like oh that's optional but for a sensitive person it's not and if you don't have someone reminding you of that it's very easy for those inner thoughts that come from your upbringing to to take over and and, and fill you with judgment so thank you for speaking. yeah so true because we're, we're on the topic of grief and it's Scorpio season, and it's my intention to get this up before the end of Scorpio season, do you have any tangible, practical tips for someone who's in the grief process right now? Yes. So the tips I would give are try and get yourself in that right-brained relational mentality of connectedness with people and in an environment of support because the more resilient that you are and the more joyful that you are you're gonna handle your grief completely differently start with trying to find or create a support network for yourself whether you join an online support group or gather a cup of couple of friends who are going through whatever it is you're going through gather people together with you and do it together support each other through it another thing is include gratitude into your day be intentional about it and not just thinking it or writing it but expressing it with your mouth something magical happens <laughs> between your right and your left brain when you profess it when you proclaim it and um and it has an opportunity to multiply. If I'm standing at line at the restaurant and I compliment the person who just took my order, they're obligated or they feel compelled to respond to my gratitude. And other people witnessing our smiles and our exchange are feeding off of that energy and it just compounds. So let your gratitude be expressed and also let your feelings and your needs be expressed. When you're grieving, it, the tendency is to go into that survival mode like we talked about earlier. So if you have someone that's capable in your life that you can say, hey, I'm having a hard day and I could use an hour to myself or I could really help use help with dinner tonight or whatever it is, 
communicate your feelings and your needs, needs what that looks like in my family. Um, I've got two children and a practice that we do either at the dinner table or at bedtime is we say, what's your happy and crappy of the mm -hmm. day? And it's just an opportunity for us to say, well, this didn't go well today, but this did. And we talk about how we felt about those things. Um, sometimes it's at the dinner table and I'm trying to get them to be in this mindset of gratitude. And I'll say, did you guys see anything pretty today? What was it? Or did anything fun happen at school today? What, tell me about it. Those kind of thing exercises are good. Anytime you can include play into your day that includes movement, like going for a walk or dancing. Dancing was a huge uh, part of my recovery. I went contra dancing. It's kind of like square dancing, but like circles and lines. And it was just fun because you're always trading partners. You're making eye contact. You're smiling all night. Um, so movement in the form of something playful and fun, something you enjoy, whatever it is that is your thing, bike riding or indoor rock climbing, wall climbing, you know, plan for that during your season of grief and include it in your schedule so you have something to look forward to. And I will say rest is absolutely important, especially for a highly sensitive. Give yourself one to two hours a day. I know that might sound like a lot, to some people, try it. Give yourself a, a trial period. Say, I'll, I'll test this out for two weeks or one week and, and see if it makes a difference. And I think, especially during the holiday season, our minds get so cluttered with to-do lists or information that's coming in, whether it's at work or listening to a podcast or a story your child has told you or a conflict with um, a friend. It's like your mind just needs time to process those things and have some quiet space to release it out of your system. Maybe you take a hot bath or a long walk or sit on the hammock for a while. That's, that's my way of, of resting where the information, there's no information coming in. I'm not having to listen to anything or anyone. I'm just able to release all the thoughts and feelings that I've absorbed in during the day. And just the last one that I was thinking I wanted to tell the listeners about is including eye contact and joy smiles into your, your lifestyle. And what I mean by joy smiles is when someone you love walks into the room when your eyes light up at the sight of them and you get a smile on your face, they can't help but respond likewise. And when it's a bonding exercise, it's for attachment, it helps create attachment. When you make eye contact with someone that you love and you smile at them like they are someone special or they're a favorite of yours, chemically in your body, it will help lift your spirits. It will help bring happiness and joy and kind of change your outlook because you realize I'm with someone I love and it will change the dynamic between you. Like the response with like for me and my 
teenager, when she comes home from school, it's, it's different. When she walks in the door and I'm on my computer or phone and I don't look up, it's one thing. But when she walks in and I look at her and I have this sparkle in my eye and a smile, hi, so good to see you, or I'm so happy you're home or whatever, it's completely different. So try that, test that out too in your, in your home and see, see how that affects the dynamic of grief and how that adds a little bit of joy into, into your life. Would that also work with yourself like in a mirror? Yeah, I think so. Um, like I've done positive affirmations in the mirror. You could do your gratitude. If you didn't have somebody to read or express your, your gratitude to, you could do that in a mirror with yourself. Absolutely. I was thinking the, the, the breakup I went through years and years ago, but there wasn't anyone around because with him went all of our friends, you know, all of these connections. And I also didn't want to be around people. I wanted to be in a little cave by myself, but Mm -hmm. there was, I was thinking, I was like, I used to look in the mirror and tell myself I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that had to do anything with attachment, but I'm wondering now, was that the start of this new relationship I built with myself, like a stronger relationship I built with myself? Yeah. You know, your story reminded me of my own. I, after my divorce, I noticed that I did not look at myself in the mirror when I was getting ready to take a shower and I had just this body shame and this self repulsion And it was years later when I realized that I had some growth and, and recovery from that. When I looked myself in the, in the mirror and smiled and was like, wow, I'm so pretty. (laughs) Like (laughs) it was just this weird um, shift for me of, I love my body now and I really feel beautiful and sexy and And I was able to make eye contact with myself and look at my body parts that I used to not want to look at. It was probably a good indicator that I was bonding with myself differently because Mm -hmm. of that. And what a a moment of what I, in my head, I call them like recognizing my growth. Mm -hmm. We don't often see it on the day to day, how we are moving forward, how we are you know, changing for the better and developing for the better. But then there's these moments where it's like, oh, for this to have happened, I must have done the work. Yes. Yeah. I love that. So I'm curious, what is next for you in your business? Like what, what's, what's going on in your world? Um, so this season is the grief season and it's kind of in, in my industry, this is like our busy season. It kind of leads up to the holidays, like October, November is when a lot of people are willing to look at their grief because they know they're going to be seeing family members over the holidays and are stressing about it and having anxiety about it. And they want it, they want the sadness or the anger or the grief to be gone. So they'll do their work in anticipating the holidays. But then the holidays, I'm also, I'm offering something new this year where I'm offering to support people through the holidays, because I remember what that felt like when I 
moved out of state. I didn't have any family here. I was going through a divorce. I had a baby and I just felt like stuck at home and nobody knew what was happening. I felt really alone and didn't have my support network set up because we had just moved here. And I just feel like that's still a need for people who are going, navigating through their first years of divorce and all the changes. And, you know, kids are with their ex for the holidays and for the first time you're home alone for Christmas and it's hard and you don't want to ask your friends if you can come along or it's too awkward to go if you get an invitation. So I'm offering to support people through the holidays. And then in January, I'm doing something new where I want to have a support group for ladies going through divorce who are highly sensitive or impasse, and we can support each other because I've just experienced the power of mentorship and community and uh, support groups really have been a game changer for me. And I just want to offer that to others. You know, we learn from each other in a support group. There's just so much value to someone who's been through it offering advice to someone who's just going through it and the gratitude that they give in exchange saying, thank you so much for helping me with this and helping me avoid that same mistake. And it just feels, feels good to both be the giver and the receiver in that kind of relationship. Where can people find you if they want to reach out about these offerings specifically? So the support over the holidays or in the new year? Is there a website or social media? Yeah, I've got a website and I believe you're going to link it in your show notes so you can find me on my website. I'm also on Facebook, just with my first and last name, Amelia Brugham. Those two places are probably the best way to connect with me. Amazing. I will definitely link it below. And if anyone has questions, they can reach out to me too and I can forward it if they can't, for some reason, can't find you and need the support. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your time. Yeah. And yeah, it was wonderful. I hope today's conversation served you. If it did, take two seconds, share this episode with someone who you know who could use it too. Or take two seconds and head over to iTunes and share with us a review. Reviews mean so much in getting the podcast and its information and its knowledge out into the lives of the people who could really use it. So thank you in advance for taking a moment to go and do that. And if we haven't connected already, I'm over on Instagram at the diary of an empath and I would love to hear from you. And if you listen to this and you felt in your bones that EIB is the program for you, you're ready to go full into your work, the work that you're here to do. You can learn so much more about what we'll cover together in the program at www.empathsinbusiness.com. Until next time, we will talk soon. Thank you.